doing uh, predictions this week for a uh, new main event. Here we got Paul Felder facing Rafael Dos Anjos. This is a pretty good card, fun card overall. A lot of uh, you know live underdogs in my opinion. So just uh, make sure to drop a like down below, put a comment. Uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for all the support. Uh, been doing pretty well. Uh, yesterday we did well in the contender series. So hopefully we can uh, you know bring that momentum into uh, this Saturday. But like always, thanks for watching. Thanks for supporting. And uh, with the first fight of the night, we have Dante Mays taking on Roki Martinez. And what can you say? I mean, this is a low-level fight. We got uh, Danto. He's 0-2 so far in his UFC career. He's uh, been submitted in both fights. And he's going to have some big advantages, though, in this fight. I think he's going to have a athleticism advantage. He's going to be six years younger. Nine-inch reach advantage. Six-inch height advantage. And his opponent, uh, Roki Martinez, I mean, didn't really show anything in his debut. But kind of hard to blame him. He got put in there with uh, a beast and Alexander Romanov, who was short notice. He's getting a step down in competition here, so, you know, maybe he's going to look a little better. He's had a little bit more time to prepare also. And, I mean, man, I, I'm not confident on either side on this fight. I mean, we got uh, Dante Mays, who he's going to be the guy trying to stay on the outside. He's going to be more athletic, so he kind of switches stances, throws a lot of kicks, and I think he's going to be trying to, you know, keep Roki on the outside, keep him on the, you know, end of his jab, the end of his front kicks, round kicks, and try to walk him into something, uh, explode. He does have decent explosive, explosive blitzes, but, uh, man, I mean, I, I just don't think he's very good moving backwards. Roki is probably the better boxer on the inside, and uh, Martinez is going to have to, you know, close that gap, get on the inside, uh, push him against the cage, control him there, get him tired, maybe even try to get some takedowns and uh, work the dirty boxing, close boxing in the pocket, try to, uh, you know, catch Maze, but... Mays does have an issue with cardio. I mean, he slows down uh, really bad. And I do feel like Roki is the more durable guy that's gonna probably going to be in the fight trying to get the finish for, you know, maybe a little bit longer period of time. So if it goes late and, uh, you know, third round, maybe Mays will be a little bit tired. Roki's going to have a chance to finish him. But I will say, you know, Dante Mays looks like he's pretty durable. He has a good chin. And uh, I don't think Roki's going to catch him in a submission. I mean, it's possible if he gets him really tired, takes him down, he could submit him. But uh, I don't know. I'm actually going to maybe side with uh, Dante Mays here. I mean, I feel like, man, I don't really want to pick this guy. But uh, I think that he might be able to maybe win the first two rounds, lose a third round. I don't think he's going to get Roki out of there. I mean, Roki's very durable himself. He comes to fight, I think he's the tougher guy, but when it comes down to it, I mean, I just, uh, I think Mays, he's maybe a little bit more athletic, he's younger, and he's going to have that big height and reach advantage, so just because of that, I'm going to go with Dante Mays, but in terms of like uh, a bet, I mean, I definitely think it's a dog or pass situation, I think there is some okay value there on uh, Roki Martinez, just because... I mean, I don't think Tonto May should be over minus 200 against many people, man. He's not a, you know, very trustworthy guy. So, to be honest with you, I mean, Mays, he's 0-2 in the UFC. Seems like a guy already that can kind of uh, get down himself mentally. I feel like Roki is going to come in here the tougher guy, but I just don't know if that's going to be enough, man. So, I'm going to have to side with Tonto May's 29-28 uh, decision, but yeah, low confidence pick on this one. In the second fight of the night here, we got Geraldo De Freitas taking on Tony Gravely. Two grapplers here, and uh, interesting fight. Tony Gravely, he was unsuccessful in his UFC debut, but it was a back-and-forth fight of the night against Brett Johns, who's a 
top 10, top 15 guy. And uh, Gravely got some in in the third round of that fight, but he's a pretty good fighter. He has some solid wins. He's a former Division One college wrestler. On the feet, he uh, you know has good striking, but it's kind of all to get it to the mat. He is very explosive. He's a good athlete, very fast. Really relies on that speed on the feet. He has a nice straight uh, right hand, good hook combinations. He will feint level changes to create openings for blitz combinations, big uppercuts. He uh, will throw good body kicks, but isn't much of a kicker really. And defensively, he's not that good. He stands a little bit upright when he throws punches, looks a little bit hittable in exchanges, overextends a little bit, can be a little bit wild with his punches. But he's composed and doesn't really get rattled when he sit with shots on the feet. And he's a hard guy to finish with strikes, but I do think someone who could stuff his takedowns will probably give him a lot of issues. Gravely does have six knockouts, and I have seen him hit some like a nice one-shot KOs. But mostly, a lot of his knockouts are ground and pound. He has never been finished by strikes, and he shines in the grappling realm offensively. He has uh, relentless cardio, chain wrestling. He uh, likes to establish his wrestling very fast, very quickly in fights. Very good level changes, good singles, good doubles. He's also good at getting the entry, uh, or using the entry to push guys to the fence and uh, chain wrestling from there. Good body locks, and in top position, he's very active, good passing ability. He uh, likes to move into dominant positions and uh, chip away at you, make you work, eventually drown you. Pretty good from half guard. Uh, he's strong there. He has good ground and pound and uh, kind of just works you over until you uh, you know, give him a position where he could either take the back, trap a wrist, and start to uh, finish the fight. Pretty heavy ground and pound, and he can put himself in some bad positions, though. When he shoots in on takedowns, he can uh, leave his head there to be guillotined, and he's a little bit wild and uh, disrespectful of people's guards at times like he can leave his uh, arms out there and can kind of try to slam his way out of shit and you know that's why he's been submitted five times that shows not only poor submission defense but poor IQ a little bit but uh, he does have a really good takedown defense he's very hard to hold down he's a great scrambler uh, he did get caught in this uh, you know a guillotine in a kind of a scramble fuss fight in his last fight against Brett Johns and uh, you know Patrick Mix was able to catch him in a guillotine but Patrick Mix looks like a future world champion and uh, Gravely had his moments in uh, in that fight with Patrick Mix he had his moments in uh, the fight with uh, Brett John so he's been competitive with a lot of these real high-level guys and overall Gravely he has a good ground game his pace breaks a lot of fighters and he's a welcome addition to the division but he's gonna be taking on Geraldo de Fritas who's looking to bounce back from his first UFC loss he uh, dropped a split decision to Chris Gutierrez, which could have went either way. This is going to be his first fight in the United States, and DeFritas' last fight was his first fight outside of Brazil, and he lost. It was in Uruguay. He didn't perform badly, though, but it's still something to take into account, potentially. DeFritas overall, he's a tough, scrappy guy. On the feet, he stands tall, tries to stay loose, stay fast. Kind of, you know, a similar stance to, like, Jorge Masvidal. He isn't nearly the level of athlete, though. He could still kind of look a little bit slow, choppy. He does have better hands than kicks. He has a nice jab, good one-two. Likes to throw the one-two, lean back, land that check hook. He has, uh, you know, some pretty good hook combinations, good uppercut combos. Good job in his last match at keeping good forward pressure. And he's long when he finds his range. He will touch with uh, nice combinations from the outside. He has good kicks, good low kicks, good round kicks, front kicks to the body. But he can be a little bit slow with the kicks at times. 
And, uh, you know, he did get his lead leg chewed up by Chris Gutierrez, but he dealt with that better than most people. I mean, we've seen uh, lesser men be finished by those low kicks of uh, Chris Gutierrez. And uh, DeFreitas ate them and continued to come forward. But he has five losses. And in all five of those losses, he's never been finished. So he's a very durable guy, but he is the guy that's beatable. And uh, he's not really a power puncher. He only has three knockouts. It doesn't seem like he really has a lot of pop. And uh, he's a good grappler, though. He's a decent wrestler. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. And he's very good with that up-down style. He sets up his takedowns well with strikes. And he's a good chain wrestler against the cage. In the clinch, he has good offense. But his defensive wrestling isn't very good. I mean, in the clinch, he's proven kind of hard to take down. But I feel, you know, especially with the stance, standing so tall, the singles and doubles are going to be tough for him to, to defend. And they have been throughout his career. On the regional scene, he was taken down a lot. Felipe Kolaris was able to hit a double leg slam against the cage, take him down. And Defritis on top isn't super dangerous. He's more of a grinder. He will hit Rurnika chokes if he can take your back, but he loses position a lot and uh, a little bit hasty trying to advance. And, you know, he can get a lot of, uh, get caught in a lot of scramble fest fights as well, like his fight with Felipe Kolaris. And he can get controlled, give up his back, but he's slippery. He's hard to hold down. He will look for leg locks, but he hasn't really faced a top grappler, though. Some of the positions Chris Gutierrez, Felipe, Kolaris were able to uh, win make me kind of feel a better grappler may have their way with DeFritis. DeFritis does have five submission victories. His cardio is good, but oddly, he's only 3-5 and five in decisions. Hasn't really had a lot of success on the scorecards. And with this fight, it's going to come down to if you think DeFritis will catch a submission. I mean, Gravely is going to be able to take him down. He's going to take him down at will, most likely. And um, I feel even on the feet, the threat of the wrestling and the speed is going to make Tony Gravely at least competitive, if not better there. He is training an American top team, so he should be improving quite a bit for this camp. I don't see him getting subbed. I mean, I don't like seeing him getting subbed so many times, but DeFritis isn't a big sub guy. He has five submissions, but not against the level of grappler that Gravely is. I just see Tony winning the scrambles, being the much more dominant wrestler. He could get a late finish, but I think it's going to be a decision win for Gravely. DeFritis is tough. He's never been finished, but he's been out for a long time. This is his first fight in the United States. He's facing a guy that I think is going to give him a little bit of issues with the style that he has. So unless DeFritis can catch a submission, I just don't see him getting the win. So I got to go with uh, Tony Gravely here, and I think it's going to be a decision win. And uh, moving along here with the third fight tonight, we got Random Marcos taking on Kanato Murata. And Marcos, uh, she's looking to right that wrong from her last fight with Mackenzie Dern. She's coming back pretty quickly here. And uh, she showed arguably the worst IQ of the year of any fighter. She jumped in a Moondal Champions guard. And, you know, she stayed tough for a bit, but Mackenzie Dern was able to catch her in that arm bar. And that was the first time the veteran has lost two fights in a row in her UFC career. So if Marcos loses a third one in a row here, she could be on the chopping block. She's going to be facing a UFC newcomer here in Kanaka Murata, who's 11-1. She's on a seven-fight win streak. Murata was actually originally scheduled to face Livia Souza in this fight, but now she's arguably getting a higher-profile name in Marcos, and Marcos is taking this fight on nine days' notice. But, you know, Murata, she's coming off a layoff of over a year herself, and at 27 years old, it may be good, it may be bad. She could have improved, but I'm not really sure what the layoff was for. She is mainly a grappler. She's worked on her striking, but it's never going to be great. I mean, she's she's short. She has short arms, short legs, and she has improved her footwork. She uses a lot of feints. She's quick in and out. She's a southpaw, good lead hook, and she looks like she has power. She's good at landing, then level changing, good, nice, uh, pretty nice combos with her hooks. She has uh, good front kicks to the body. She's fast. She's athletic. 
but she struggles to get inside in times and she can get caught with some straight shots as she's coming in. I feel like a pressure striker with takedown defense could probably give her a lot of issues. And uh, Emily Ducote in her last fight, where she did fight for the Invicta title and won, rocked Murata pretty hard with some straight shots in the fifth round of their fight. And uh, Murata, she's never been finished by strikes, though. She does look like she has some power in her hands, but she doesn't really throw enough to get many knockouts. She has two in her career. She is a very good wrestler, though. She's competed on the Japanese women's wrestling team, did fairly well there. She won a gold medal at the Asian Wrestling Championships. She also won the bronze at the... Uh, Universiade, which is uh, you know the big, biggest competition for uh, wrestling, uh, besides the Olympics for uh, countries, and you know she's a grinder. She has good level changes. She has excellent timing, good single, good double, and uh, really good clinch takedown. She's really powerful for the division. She bullies a lot of girls around. Good heavy top control. Aggressive looking for finishes from top position. Good ground and pound. And when fighters work to stand up, she's good at grabbing that front headlock, snapping them back down. Her submission defense is a little bit suspect. I mean, she did get threatened with a lot of armbar attempts against Ducote, but she does a good job of, uh, you know, stacking and uh, and getting her way out of those uh, positions. So her submission defense, I don't think, is really that terrible. Murata, you know, she has multiple Von Flu choke finishes. She's multiple uh, chokes she'll attack from the front headlock position as well. She doesn't really spend a lot of time on her back on uh, a lot of fights that I've seen when she gets taken down. Um... She tends to be able to get back up, but she has gotten submitted with the rear naked choke uh, earlier in her career. That was against Rin Nakai, who is a strong grappler, a former UFC fighter. And it was also a much worse version of Murata than the version that we have today. Murata, you know, she has four submission wins in her last five fights. She's a high IQ fighter, good cardio. She knows what she has to do in there. When I look at this fight, man, I got to go with Murata. I mean, she's going to be clearly the better wrestler. I don't think Marcos... Has the jiu-jitsu or get-ups to thread Murata or get back up to her feet. And on the feet, I actually think Murata could even win with her speed, with her athleticism. I mean, we all know Marcos. I mean, she tries to work with that jab, those straight punches, that low stance. And she's going to be trying to uh, catch Murata as she's coming in here. But I just think Murata is going to be a little bit quicker. She's going to be able to close that distance, get on the inside. Random Marcos, she hasn't really been showing the best takedown defense recently. We've seen her get taken down at will by girls like... Amanda Heba, she got taken down a lot of times by Ashley Yoder. I think if those girls could take her down, Murata could definitely take her down. And, I mean, there's a potential that maybe, like, a slim chance Marcos will catch a arm bar for back or something. But I, I feel like Murata's chances of winning are a lot higher. I just see her on the, on the feet being uh, too quick, getting inside, getting some takedowns, doing enough to, uh, you know, doing enough to win the fight on top. So... Give me a Kanaka Murata here. I think that she's going to be able to uh, get that victory, get the win. And, uh, I mean, the line it has Murata as the favorite here, which is a little bit odd just because of all the experience that Random Marcos has. But I kind of think it's right, man. I mean, Marcos is uh, getting old. She's getting up there. She's, uh, you know, facing a girl that's going to be trying to take her down. And I just don't know if she's going to be able to stop that. I actually feel like Murata is uh, going to go in there and be able to uh, – win fairly easily so I gotta go with Kanaka Murata here and uh, coming up next year we got Luis Smolka taking on Jose Quinones and uh, Luis Smolka is gonna be looking to get back in the win column he had another uh, setback his last fight had that uh, finished loss in the first round to uh, Casey Kenny but Smolka is one enough to hang around in the UFC a long time he's just not a super consistent guy I mean he's seven and seven in his career this is his second stint with the promotion he's two and two 
And uh, he's been a fixture in the division, though. He's a tough out. He's always been a killer-be-kill type of fighter. And his last seven fights have not gone to the scorecards, so he's kind of kept that mantra. And he's finished 14 of his 16 wins overall. He's only 2-4 in decisions. But I will say he's been showing some improvements on on the feet in his last couple fights. He seems to, you know, be fighting with more of a game plan. He was attacking the body really well in his last fight. And, um, you know, he's a pressure fighter. He likes to walk guys down. Uh, that check left hook, uh, leg kicks, body kicks, good jab, straight right hand combo, front kicks. And uh, he has a good right hook, good uh, overhand right. He'll throw some high kicks. But, I mean, his defense isn't really that good, like always. Last fight, he got caught with the shot, got rocked, got, you know, shot a panic takedown, got guillotined. And uh, he does have a lot of, uh, you know, knockout finishes. He has deceptive power, seven knockouts in his career. We saw him walk down Ryan McDonald, land that big overhand, take him out. And he's a pretty good BJJ practitioner as well. He's tall, he's long for the division, uh, especially when he was at 125. At 135 here, he's kind of more of a regular-sized bantamweight. But, you know, he has good length, good body locks, good trips, uh, good single legs. And uh, in his fight with Sumadarji, he did a good job of, uh, you know, really attacking the takedowns immediately, going for the single. And I feel like in this fight, he should try to, uh, you know, push a lot of grappling along with uh, the striking, mix it up, make it kind of uh, blending, blend it a little bit. But uh, Smoka does a good job using his, uh, you know, length and opponent's guards to posture up and land punches who even stand up and land punches and uh you know he's pretty good with passing he, he likes to kind of be in these big scramble fests and good ground and pound good back takes and uh you know in his fight with match now he did get caught in a triangle but we've seen him finish guys on the ground himself he has big ground and pound he'll hit some submissions and he has seven submissions he's been submitted two times and uh, Quinones, you know, he's going to be looking for a better performance here. He got pretty, you know, embarrassed his last fight by Sean O'Malley and uh, got finished in the first round. To me, it was one of the worst performances of Teco's career. And he may have let the moment get to him, I feel like, because he didn't really show anything in there. But Quinones, he has a good UFC record, but the fighters he's beaten are all suspect. If you look at Teco's UFC wins, almost all those guys are no longer in the UFC. So Teco seems like the guy the UFC test prospects with or test fighters that they think are fringe UFC level and if you can't beat Teco it seems like you get cut so Quinones I mean he's not a great striker he is light on his feet he has that alliance MMA movement he'll switch stances throws a lot of feints out there tries to stay in and out uh, pretty good jab good low kicks and he will throw some nice front kicks to the body pretty good high kicks but doesn't really have power he likes to stick and move and he only has one career TKO so he only has one finish with strikes his defense isn't the best. He throws a lot of naked kicks. He uh, gets countered a lot. He also pulls back instead of moving his feet way too much. In boxing range, he's very hittable. And he seems to get overwhelmed. Just went out of there in his last fight with uh, Sean O'Malley. And uh, he's been finished by strikes just twice. But I would say he's a little bit chinny. He's been dropped, hurt in a lot of fights. And Teco, I mean, he is a better grappler than striker. He does have jujitsu tatted on his chest. And he likes to take fighters down. He has nice timing on his doubles. Good body locks good takedowns in the clinch against the cage on top he's not very good though I mean he isn't overly dangerous doesn't really have the best top control he will throw some decent ground and pound from full or half guard but you know his big weapon is just his cardio to grapple three rounds and his timing on his takedowns he has one career submission he isn't really a finisher he isn't great off his back and his fight with Nathaniel Wood when he was taken down he kind of 
quickly gave his back and got submitted. He seems to show poor fight IQ when he faces adversity. He kind of gets overwhelmed a little bit. And he's been finishing three of his four losses. He's been submitted uh, only one time. And when I look at this fight, I mean, the game plan for Teko in this fight is going to be to use his speed, movement, kicks, frustrate, smoke on the feet, pull him into takedowns, control on top, avoid the submissions, stay heavy, and grind smoke out. Maybe try to get him a little bit tired. And uh, Smolka, you know, he's going to be trying to get in the face of uh, of Teko, back him to the cage. When Teko pulls back, he's going to be trying to land that big overhand. He's going to be, uh, in my opinion, maybe working for some takedowns of his own, trying to test that, you know, grappling of Quinones to see if he can put him on his back. And if he can, I think he has a good chance of getting the submission. I just feel like I think Smolka is a better all-around fighter here. I think on the feet... He's going to be the guy walking him down and uh, landing some pretty decent shots. He could even maybe rock, hurt uh, Quinones. And I think on the ground, if he can get on top, he's going to have an advantage. So I'm actually going to go with uh, Luis uh, Smoka here. I think he's going to get maybe a second round TKO. So give me Luis Smoka. And this is a good matchup here with Alex Morono taking on Reese McKee. Alex Morono, he had his three-fight winning streak snapped in a pretty violent fashion. He went into his fight with Chaos Williams. He was a big favorite, but... Got knocked out badly early in the fight. And this is going to be Morono's 10th UFC fight, though. He is a veteran. He's going to have a massive experience advantage over McKee. I mean, just think about the guys that he's been in there with. And, uh, you know, he's been in the UFC for 10 fights, like I just said. So he's going to have a big experience edge. He's fought a lot of uh, good fighters, a lot better at competition level than McKee. So he's going to have that in his back pocket. And Reese McKee, I mean, he had a rude awakening in his UFC debut. He, uh, you know, fuck Hamza Chemaev and, uh, you know, Chemaev needed to smash and he obliterated him. I mean, McKee was outlanded 40 to 0. Uh, the ref mercifully stopped the fight. McKee definitely has a better matchup here with Morono, who's going to look to probably strike. And uh, we'll see what happens here with this type of fight. But this fight's going to play out on the feet. I mean, I don't really see either guy looking for takedowns. Morono, he has no takedown attempts in the UFC. Reese McKee is a striker. And Morono, I mean, he's a good striker. He has decent lateral movement. He's light on his feet, decent jab, left hook. He'll throw a right hook lead. And he likes to throw the jab overhand right. He uh throw looping overhand rights, jab overhand rights. He has a good head kick, good spinning head kick. We did see him drop Max Griffin with that nasty high kick in his, la in his last win. And he will throw some nice front kicks to the body, but he can get lazy throwing kicks, leave his chin right in the air. He can stand very tall, and he's also there to be leg kicked. He doesn't really throw in combination a lot either, especially with his hands. So he's kind of one and done. He will throw some uh, spinning back fists. His footwork and his ability to cut guys off and kind of uh, keep the same pace that he has all throughout the fight is probably his best strength. He wears guys down and then he can start to take over late. Um, but he does gas out really bad himself. I mean, we've seen that in multiple fights. and You know, he hasn't shown major power over his career. He only has four knockouts, but... He has a decent chain. He's been TKO'd three times now, but you have to start questioning that after he got finished so badly in his last fight. And Reese McKee, you know, he's a really tall, long guy. He's going to have a pretty significant advantage in reach here if you look at six inches. And, uh, you know, he, he throws a nice jab. He uses it early and often. Nice one-twos down the pipe. Jab overhand rights. And he dropped his last... Uh, opponent that he defeated with the jab finished him off with ground and pound he will throw some tricky front kicks high kicks he likes to back guys up to the cage cut it off make it small then pick at them from range throws a lot of stinging punches but he stands straight up and down though he's a little bit hittable 
and fighters can come over the top of his jabs and straights and land on him so he has to be careful especially early on of these big blitzes looping shots from Morono but McKee's durable I've seen him eat some big shots and uh, continue to come forward he kind of likes to stay in that pocket and he seems like he's kind of a dog man and um, I feel like on the feet he's going to be a little bit sharper I think that you know especially in the pocket it seems like he has real nice tight hooks short range power and I think that he's going to be the guy that's just like I said he's going to be a little bit sharper cleaner he's going to have the reach as well and I think early on he's going to respect that power he's going to respect the obviously the experience everything that Alex Morono brings but I think as the fight continues to progress we're going to see Morono's uh, confidence level go down a little bit because he's going to be getting countered as he's trying to strike and uh, I think he's going to have a little bit of difficulty with the range getting on the inside and I think eventually he's going to start to get a little bit tired that's when we're going to see Reese McKee start to go forward put some combinations together back him up and when you start to see him backing Alex Morono up I think that's when it's going to start to become you know the beginning of the end and I, I could see Reese McKee getting a late second third round TKO KO here so I'm actually going to go with the slight underdog I'm going to pick Reese McKee Morono he's a veteran in the UFC he's a dog he's a guy that comes to fight all the time but I think he has a low ceiling McKee is 25 years old he's going to be pumped up here it's going to be his first fight in the United States I think he's going to be a little bit better striker in a striking fight he's durable and uh, I feel like he's going to be able to get it done so I'm going to go with Reese McKee here and in this next fight we got a you know a pretty good fight we got two girls that like to grapple but I feel like one has a clear edge on the feed and that's uh, Miranda Granger when you look at this fight I mean Ashley Yoder she's been in the UFC a long time a lot longer than Granger but her record isn't very good she's kind of uh, up and down fighter in the organization and Miranda Granger, she's 1-1 uh, one one in the UFC, but that was her first loss. I'm sure she's going to be hungry, ready to come back and get the win, especially the way that she lost, getting choked out like that. And uh, Ashley Yoder, she uh, lost a close decision in her last fight again to Livia Souza. It seems like she's in a lot of those super close decisions. And when you look at this fight, I mean, just in my opinion, it's going to be a, kind of a striker versus grappler matchup because I do feel like even though Miranda Granger can grapple, I don't think she's going to be trying or wanting to try to take down a girl like Ashley Yoder. Yoder's, she's big for the division, tall, long. Both these girls actually have uh, the same height, which I feel like is probably going to be a little bit weird for them. I'm sure they're used to fighting shorter girls. But uh, Yoder's still going to have a little bit in the reach, I think like a one inch or so. And she is, uh, you know, physical for the division. I feel like she's probably going to be the stronger girl if you just... Uh, you know put him together and like said uh try to lift weights or something like that so if they clinch up i think yoder is going to be pretty physical and we've seen yoder time and time again be really good with that body lock she really likes the single leg i mean she goes for it all the time and uh she's good at using the single to uh circle to the back and when she takes the back she's good at controlling from there not really dangerous i mean she takes the back and kind of hangs out and on the feet, I mean, she just looks really hittable of late. She has a southpaw, and she'll throw some hard strikes. She goes for it. She's durable, but uh, really hittable. I mean, she eats a lot of shots. I feel like Miranda Granger is much better on the feet, much cleaner with her boxing. She throws uh, nice one-one-twos. She'll uh, close that gap pretty fluidly. She keeps the volume high. Looks like she has some pop in her hands, but she's a little bit stiff, hittable herself. 
I just feel like it doesn't really matter on the feet with this one. I feel like Yoder's not going to offer very much. I mean, we've seen Yoder get outstruck by girls like Suri Kondo, really have to get it to the ground in that one. So I think Granger's going to have her way on the feet, and it's going to come down to uh, if Yoder can take her down, take her back, control her, you know, keep her, uh, you know, on her back, even if she's in the full guard, if she's in half guard, it doesn't matter. If, she, if she's just on top, she's probably going to be winning. And, uh, you know, I mean, Miranda Granger does have a lot of these arm bar submissions, front choke submissions, and it's possible she hits one of those, but I think it's pretty unlikely. I mean, neither of these girls have ever been finished in their career. And uh, for me to think, I mean, Granger's going to hit one of these front chokes or arm bars from guard against uh, a girl that's a pretty credentialed grappler like Yoder. I just don't think it's going to happen, especially with uh, someone they call the Spider Mikey, Sp Spider Monkey, who really likes to scramble. He's going to be kind of uh, probably hard to catch in a submission. So, I mean, I feel like Granger needs to be able to try to keep it on the feet in this fight, stuff the takedowns. You know, maybe use some of that uh, jujitsu, the front chokes to defend the takedowns, keep it on the feet, and uh, outstrike Yoder. And I feel like she's going to be able to do that. I think, uh, you know, Yoder's used to having that range, being able to close that distance with some straight punches, get on the inside. And in this fight, she's going to have a girl that's the same height as her, that's going to be pretty similar in reach. Maybe uh, Granger's going to have a little bit more success. Uh, sticking and moving keeping it on the outside and I do think if it gets to the ground even though I favor Yoder a little bit I mean Granger is still good there she could threaten with the submission she could maybe hit a sweep she could get back up to her feet pretty quickly so I feel like the grappling is a little bit closer than the striking I think Granger is the girl that's hungrier that has more of a chance to come up in the division she's younger so I'm gonna go with Miranda Granger to get a decision victory in this fight but uh, I do feel like Yoder is uh, a little bit live. And uh, up next year, this is a really cool fight. We got Sean Strickland facing Brennan Allen. This is a real short notice fight. Uh, Brennan Allen, he actually was supposed to fight last week. He was supposed to take on Ian Heinish. They actually weighed in. And it honestly looked like Allen kind of had a tough weight cut. And, uh, you know, I think Ian Heinish popped for COVID. So that fight got canceled. So now he's coming back right back one week later. He's going to be fighting on this card against a guy in Sean Strickland that just fought two weeks ago. So two guys that are, uh, well, Allen hasn't been active in terms of fighting, but Sean Strickland has, and Allen, Allen just had a, uh, you know, weight cut and basically almost a whole build-up to a fight. But, man, I mean, when you look at this fight, it's going to be pretty obvious what both guys are going to try to do, right? Sean Strickland, he's going to be, uh, you know, trying to keep that range behind the jab, the straight punches, use that lateral footwork, walk Brendan Allen into shots, don't let him grab him, don't let him get a hold of him when he does clinch up with him. You know, I don't know who's going to be stronger in this fight. Both guys are really strong. I think that's going to be a big factor. I mean, if Sean Strickland is stronger, he could chuck off the clinch and, uh, you know, keep it in the center of the cage or just his footwork is too good for Allen to get inside, then he's probably going to win the fight because he has better boxing. Allen is a guy that, I mean, his striking isn't really that good, but he's really big for the division and he's a mauler. He comes forward and he does have power in his hands, so he pressures has really no fear of what guys are throwing back, has really good uh, um, durability. And because of that, guys kind of get overwhelmed with that forward pressure and the big hooks, the big power that he's coming with. And uh, you can kind of walk him down, start to land, make him throw some stupid stuff, shoot a bad takedown, and 
That's how he gets in the clinch, gets all these big knees, big elbows, and he was able to drop Kaudakis multiple times with knees in the clinch. So he's really dangerous with that aspect of his game. But at range, I mean, he showed again that he has a lot of issues. Uh, Dawkins really was lighting him up with the jab, with the straight punches, and then hitting takedowns. And I think if Strickland was going to come into this fight, implement a takedown game along with the boxing, he'd have a much higher percent chance to win. But we just saw his last fight where he wanted to keep it on the feet the whole time. I just don't know if he's going to go to that. So I can't bank on that as a part of his strategy to get the victory. And... uh you know, I feel like on the feet, when Sean Strickland fought Kamaru Usman, if you go back and watch that fight, he actually did a, you know, half-decent job of keeping the fight on the feet, you know, defending the takedowns. In the clinch, he showed a, a good job of, uh, you know, digging underhooks, getting his back off the cage, and uh, breaking that clinch. He was able to stand up from bottom a couple times, but his hands uh, and his volume went way down. He was waiting for the takedowns and uh, started to get hit with a lot of shots. He uh, kind of got dominated a little bit. And that's kind of what Brendan Allen is going to be trying to do to him. He's going to be trying to come forward with that threat of the takedown so there that it freezes him. And then he can land some shots over the top, take him down, have what he and just do what he wants with him. And this fight's going to be at 195 pounds, which I do think favors Brendan Allen. I mean... Sean Strickland, he's fought at 170. Like I said, Brennan is one of the bigger 185ers. So with this fight being at 195, I'm sure that had to do with uh, Allen having that weight cut last week, having to do the double weight cut. And um, it's going to favor Brennan Allen because he's going to be the significantly bigger guy in there, especially if they clinch up grapple. But, I mean, the thing with Brennan Allen that he struggled with a lot throughout his career is cardio, man. Like we saw it again in that fight with Kyle Dawkins where – the third round, he was tired. He got beat up. He got almost finished and uh, got face fractures. And, you know, he really gave up that third round in a big way. If you're going to get tired against a guy like Sean Strickland, who maybe is a little bit more of a veteran, has a little bit better boxing, a little bit better fight IQ, who's, gonna, who's to say that he can't put you out or hurt you and take your back and submit you or something like that? So they both have to be careful here. I mean, both these guys are black belts. Both these guys are... Really good on the ground, really good on top. Strickland, I feel like, is better off of his back. I think Strickland, you know, he's a good butterfly guard, stands up well. I mean, I don't want to – Brendan Allen, he's scrambly, hard to hold down as well. So it's hard to say, but I, I've seen Brendan Allen submitted in the past. I've seen him put in some really bad positions as well. So because of that, I will say that I think Strickland maybe has a little bit better submission defense and uh, game off of his back. But – Man, I mean, I'm having a real tough time deciding this fight. I might come back and switch this fight. I'm going back and forth. I'm going to side with Brennan Allen for now. I'm going to say that small cage, he's uh, the younger guy. He maybe will be able to uh, just use that mauling style, man. Come forward, big hooks, big overhands, close that distance, get in the clinch, take him to the ground, and uh, control, dominate on top. But I don't see him really threatening Sean Strickland on the ground. I don't think he's going to make him quit and put him in a position like Tom Breeze. Tom Breeze is making a lot of stupid mistakes in that fight, like trying to jump on the back, roll for leg locks, low percentage submissions. And it gave Brennan Allen a lot of opportunities to land some big shots. And I feel like Strickland, he's going to be a lot more composed, a lot better than that. I don't think he's going to necessarily gas out like a guy like Kevin Holland. So... 
Man, I mean, it's really interesting because if this gets to the third round, I could see Strickland start to really, you know, put it on him, start to take over the fight. But as of now, I'm going to go with Sh uh, Brendan Allen via decision. Uh, not an, another pick that's not extremely confident, though, but the pick's going to be Brendan Allen via decision. Aw, oh, man. And again, this is another fight I had a lot of trouble picking between. We got Eric Anders taking on Antonio Ahoyo. And uh, Eric Anders, you know, he's entering this fight a slight favorite. He's going to be taking it on short notice, though. He's replacing Andreas Michalaitis. Anders is a 10-fight UFC veteran, but he's 5-5. Five and five, Hasn't really been very consistent. Hasn't been able to get over the hump. And he's coming over, coming off of a pretty bad performance against Christoph Jocko. And Antonio Arroyo, I mean, he's still looking for his first UFC win. He uh, dropped that decision in his debut to Andre Muniz. That snapped a five-fight winning streak for him. But, I mean, this fight's going to be short notice. It's a totally different style. Anders is also a southpaw, which Antonio Arroyo fought his first southpaw in his last fight in Andre Muniz, and obviously he lost. But when you look at that fight, that fight was obviously, you know, all on the ground. In this fight, I mean, both these guys are huge middleweights, but they're going to be fighting much different styles. Antonio Arroyo is going to be trying to keep the range behind the kicks. Anders is going to be looking to pressure, jam, counter those kicks. And Eric Anders, to me, especially early, he needs to come in with a mauling game plan. He's traditionally done a good job of this as well. Uh, you know, he's doing decent against kickers, but he's also had real bad fights against kickers as well. But Push Arroyo gets the cage, wear on him, get him tired. And this is a really tough fight for me to call. You know, I've been going back and forth, like I said, because I could see a path to victory for either guy. I could see Anders, you know, pushing Antonio Arroyo back with the, just his uh, physicality, his athleticism is power closing the distance with those power hooks the overhands pushing a hoyo gets the cage controlling him there and uh getting a hoyo tired because uh man i mean that range it's gonna be a hoyo all day he's gonna have a huge advantage and he needs to throw kicks and uh, needs to try to attack the legs and the body i mean we saw Khalil roundtree just completely demobilize eric anders with those low kicks early and uh really beat him up bad over those three rounds but we all know Eric Anders is super tough, super durable. You're not usually going to take him out. And Hoyo, he has seven knockouts in the first round. He's finished eight of his nine wins, so he's kind of used to that. And um, early on, Hoyo is going to be the way faster guy. I don't think he's going to be able to take out Anders, but he's going to be able to make him less effective if he can work the low kicks. And I just really question the cardio of Hoyo. If Anders gets stayed in his face, counter the kicks with the flurries, and really try to force the grappling... I mean, I could see Anders potentially getting the win, but then when I think about it again, I mean, Anders is not a great wrestler. He's just a big, strong guy, controls guys in the clinch, holds him against the cage. I could see Hoyo slowing down, Anders just hugging him against the cage, but I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to say Antonio Hoyo, the guy that's coming in with the full camp, who's probably a little bit younger, a little bit hungrier, is going to be able to land the impactful shots, the kicks from the outside, some blitzes, some low kicks, some body kicks, and uh, maybe similar to Anders' last fight, where at range, Anders is trying to inch his way in and kind of getting hit with shots, but eventually pushes him against the cage, doesn't really do much with that, but just control, hanging on him, and it's just not going to be enough to win a decision, so I'm going to go with Antonio Hoyo via decision. But if he gasses out like he has in his last few fights or in the third round, he's like a zombie. Even in the second round, he's real tired. Uh, could get dicey, man. But Anders, he's taking the fight on short notice as well. Even though he's had a pretty decent amount of time uh, notice for the fight at this point. 
It's a tough one. It's a tough one, but I'm going to go with Antonio Hoyo via decision. This is an interesting fight right here. I actually did, uh, you know, a lot of tape study for this fight. We got Kay Hansen taking on Corey McKenna. And uh, Kay Hansen, she got it done in her UFC debut. She uh, got it done with style points. She dropped the first round but rallied back to get a third-round submission. And Hansen was able to take out an experienced former Invicta champion. And it showed she's quickly evolving. She's only 21 years old. She had a chance... Uh, you know, to kind of prove that she's going to be around for for a long time, and she did. But you know, she has to continue to win fights here, prove herself a little bit. Hanson, she's not really a great striker. I mean, her hands are okay. She will throw some straights, some hooks. Isn't much of a kicker. Um, really, just looking to use her forward pressure, uh, some strikes as a distraction in order to get the takedown. Isn't looking to finish the fight on the feet. Uh, she's never been finished by strikes either. She's a tough girl, but we have seen fights where she's really gotten battered on the feet, can't close that distance, really struggles to get in the inside. And, uh, you know, she's had fights where she's been getting beat up the whole fight and found a submission at the end. So she showed she can, uh, you know, be durable and continue to come forward and uh, survive a storm. So she's tough, but, I mean, where her bread is buttered is in the grappling, man. I mean, she's a strong grappler, really relies on that wrestling Really good double legs, good back takes, good at taking opponents down off of their kicks. In the clinch, she's strong, good underhooks, head positioning, good trips. On top, she's very heavy and she has good ground and pound. She's always looking to pass, get into a dominant position, look for a submission. Good mount, good back take. And when she gets the back, she will flatten girls out. She's effective there. She also will just sit in half guard, laying ground and pound. She uh, likes to look for the guillotine and she will finish the guillotine for mount. She has a good arm triangle. She'll attack front chokes from side control. She, uh, you know, will attack arm bars from mount as well at times. But I haven't really seen Hansen uh, taken down. She is good off of her back and she's hard to control. But, you know, I haven't seen her on her back too much, to be honest with you. I mean, I've seen her attempt some leg locks. She's finished uh, five or six wins on the mat. She's young. She's aggressive. She's improving. And, you know, she pushes a high pace. And the small cage of wrestling should be pretty effective. But she's going to be facing another good grappler here in Corey McKenna. And when you look at Kay Hansen's record and decisions, it's only one win and two losses. So that kind of tells you something, man. I mean, she has six finishes in her seven wins. When it goes to decision, uh, she's usually not on the right side of that. But uh, Corey McKenna, she's uh, fighting uh, the only girl who's younger than her in the UFC. Both these girls are just 21 years old, but McKenna is one month older than Hanson. And McKenna punched her ticket to the UFC with the win on the Contender Series. She was able to defeat uh, a very tough grappler, Vanessa Demopoulos. If you haven't seen Vanessa Demopoulos's uh, most recent fight in LFA against Lupe uh, Gonzalez, go watch that fight. Man, that fight was amazing. But Corey McKenna, she's still developing as a striker herself, but I would say she's much, much further ahead than uh, her opponent Kay Hansen. She's predominantly a boxer. She will mix in some low kicks, body kicks, but her hands are better than her kicks. And she has a nice jab. She'll throw a really nice uh, lead hook, straight right hand combination. She, uh, you know, will try to pull fighters in a lead hook, straight shots. She's comfortable at switching stances between, uh, you know, both stances throughout the whole fight. She's able to fight fluidly. And uh, she doesn't really have the reach or athleticism at times to get inside. And I have seen her struggle, get kind of pinged up from the outside. But in this fight, I think her fluidity is much better than Hanson's. Her footwork is much better than Hanson's. I think that, uh, you know, just her ability to uh, create openings for striking is just a little bit more advanced. 
But Corey McKenna, she's a good grappler, and she spent a lot of time at Team Alpha Male to polish that part of her game as well. She has really good level changes on her double legs. Uh, she's very good at finishing those doubles in the middle of the octagon, but she will also use the double to push fighters to the cage, control them from there, chain wrestle. On top, she's really good. She has really good passing ability, back takes. When she takes the back, she's hard to shake off, and she's a really crushing top game. When she takes an opponent down, she usually keeps them down. Both these girls have kind of a you know, similar grappling style when they get on top. And when she's taken down, she's a sick scrambler, man. She has a great guard, really excellent sweeps, really good butterfly guard. Her competition level hasn't really been at the level of Hanson's. I'm kind of interested to see how she fares against a, you know, a very strong wrestler like Kay. But in her last fight, she did show she can defend the submissions of elite submission artist in uh, Vanessa Demopoulos. She was able to uh, stick around in Demopoulos' guard, defend the submissions, and land some really nice ground and pound there as well. McKenna, she's not a big submission threat. She cares more about staying on top, throwing ground and pound, controlling. But she's a solid rear naked choke, and she's never been finished, and she has good cardio. She has a better record of 2-1 and one in decision. She's tough. She, uh, you know, is uh, a good fighter as well. I feel like she's getting a little bit disrespected on the betting line. Both these girls are grapplers. It's going to be fun to see how this one plays out. Hanson, she's going to have a big reach advantage on the feet. McKenna, I mean, she has one of the so shortest reaches I've seen at 58.5 inches. But like I said, I actually think McKenna is the better striker. McKenna will switch stances, cleaner striking. In terms of the grappling, it's tough. I think both are very good. But I'm actually going to go with McKenna. I think she has a better bottom game. I think that she maybe sets up her takedowns a little bit better, has better timing. And she may be able to win if it just stays standing as well. But I think there's going to be some grappling. I think there's going to be some uh, scramble, some exchanges. I think McKenna's going to have success. I think Hanson's going to have some some success. But I think people are going to be surprised at how much success Corey has in the grappling. I think that on the feet, Hanson is going to be a step behind the whole time. So I'm actually going to go with uh, Corey McKenna to get a decision victory in this fight. And uh, I think it's going to be a good fight, but I got Corey McKenna. And up next here we got Julian Marquez taking on Saberbeg Safroff. This is a fight I want nothing to do with here. I mean, I think the line is way off on this fight. I mean, we got Julian Marquez. He's making his return to the octagon two years away from the sport. He had a lot of injuries, and, you know, he's coming back now. And uh, he's actually training at Glory MMA and Fitness for this camp. That camp has been doing uh, pretty well recently, so that's a good look there. And uh, his last time out, he was losing that split decision to Alessio DeCirico. But Marcos, you know, he's a guy that inches forward behind those lead hooks, overhands, really lets the big power go on the inside, good high kick when fighters try to exit off the cage, he'll throw some nice elbows. His defense really isn't that good, but he's durable. He, you know, he could take a shot and we'll take one to give one, and that's kind of his style. Big and physical. I mean, in the clinch, he does have some big elbows and knees, and, uh, you know, he will look to snap guys down from that front headlock position, but kind of questionable takedown defense. He's been taken down by guys that aren't really great grapplers like uh, Darren Stewart. And, uh, you know, he actually got taken on quite a bit by Alessio DiCirico. But, you know, Marquez is actually one of these guys that really is good at scrambling back to his feet when he's taken down. And he's done well against grapplers. You know, not only has he defeated uh, Phil Haas, but he's defeated guys like Cameron Olsen, Matt Hamill. And overall, Marquez is still fairly inexperienced. Though. I mean, he's 0-2 in decisions. He's never won a fight that hit the third round, but, you know, luckily for Marquez, Safarov, he's only been in the third round one time in his career. Sapperbeg, you know, he's making his return to the octagon, uh, second appearance at middleweight here. He is a huge middleweight, and uh, he lost to Adolfo Vieira in his debut at middleweight via submission. 
Uh, he's kind of similar on the feet. I mean, he likes to bang, throw big shots, and, uh, you know, kind of just create a wild brawl to close the distance. I would say Marquez is a little bit better on the feet, a little bit more technical, but both these guys, man, they just like to squabble. So it's going to be, uh, you know, on the feet, it's going to be a, a bang fest. I don't know. I mean, both these guys are going to be in there just throwing wild. Um, I mean, Sapperbeg, he's a good grappler, good doubles. He's good at crashing in the clinch, good single leg. And, uh, you know, he's good at kind of creating entries for, like, punches off the break, like big uppercuts and stuff like that. And when he gets on top, I mean, he does have big ground and pound, but his jiu-jitsu isn't really there. It seems like he gets swept a lot, doesn't really have good positional awareness. And he uh, cheats a lot. I mean, you'll grab the cage. We saw that in his win with uh, Nick Negramanu. I mean, he really was... Uh, you know, cheating a lot in that fight and uh, got a point taken away, stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think this fight is a lot, lot closer than the line because Marquez gets taken down a lot in fights. And on the feed, it's not like he's like some ace where he's going to be way better than Saberbeg. This is going to be both of them going to war on the feet. Saberbeg's probably going to be the better grappler early. And it's going to come down to whether Saperbeg is uh, going to be able to continuously take him down, keep him on the ground, and control him, or that you know scrambly, grindy, tough style of Marquez where he continues to get up, you know, deny some of the takedowns, starts to wear on Saperbeg. Maybe he could uh, create a scramble, get on top, hit one of those guillotines, hit a uh, you know an arm lock submission. He seems like he likes to attack those Camoras, Americanas, and. Um, yeah, so I'm going to go with Julian Marquez, second or third round submission or TKO. But this is a fight that I just don't want anything to do with besides watching. I think it's going to be a really fun fight to watch. But, yeah, I got to go with Marquez. I mean, Saberbeg hasn't had a lot of success in the UFC. And we've seen, like, he's kind of like he'll have injuries in his fight. Seems like he's old, worn out. So, got to go with Marquez here. But... Yeah, like I said, I mean, it's hard to trust a guy coming off over a two-year layoff in a fight where it's going to be another tough guy that's going to be willing to bang trade with him and is probably the better wrestler. So, I mean, I would stay away from the fight in terms of the line completely, but I'm actually going to pick Julian Marquez here. And man, in the co-main event, we got a super explosive fight. We got Abdul Razak Al-Hassan taking on Chaos Williams. And uh, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, you know, he's going to be looking to bounce back. He suffered that loss in his comeback fight. I think that was about three months ago at this point. And he was returning from a long layoff. He was almost two years away from the sport and had a lot of things on the outside that were kind of in his head. You could even see during fight week he was kind of battling some demons there. So hopefully now after he had that, uh, you know, performance, maybe he could shake off a little bit of rust, be a little bit sharper this time. He kind of got essentially dominated and uh, he's going to be facing a fighter now with a similar style to him in Chaos Williams. I mean, when you look at Austin, I mean, man, I mean, all 10 of his victories are first-round knockouts. Six of them are in one minute. That's what he does. He's super athletic, powerful, explosive, wild. Really tries to come forward with that jab overhand right, with that cross, with the uppercuts. He'll uh, switch it up between the overhand right and the uppercut as a lead. And he switches stances, throws really hard low kicks, some really wild high kicks. On the inside, I mean, you'll just look for these tricky uppercuts, big tight hooks. He's really willing to brawl in the pocket because he just really trusts his speed, his athleticism, his power. And uh, he has a good judo background, heavy hips. He's pretty hard to hold down or take down. He's hard to uh, take down in the clinch especially. 
Omar Akhmedov did take him down pretty, con pretty, uh, you know, convincingly throughout the fight multiple times, and uh, he won the third round. Or Hassan kind of gassed out, and that's something that uh, Chaos Williams is going to be trying to do because Chaos Williams he did announce himself to the UFC stage in style, man. I mean, he dusted Alex Morono in less than thirty seconds. And this is going to definitely be the biggest win of his career. He is the younger fighter. He's uh, nine years younger. He's going to have a five-inch reach advantage. But his striking, I mean, to me, it's not really that great. I mean, there's a lot of low kicks from the outside. He'll leap into hooks, rear uppercuts, big overhands, wild right hands. He'll drop his hands when he throws kicks, though. He really trades real sloppy. He'll leave his head right on the center line. And against a Hassan, man, I mean, you're going to be in trouble if you do that. If he gets touched clean... He's going to get knocked out. I mean, he really relies on his reach and kind of being just outside of range in the pocket. And uh, against an explosive guy that can close that gap, I don't know how smart that's going to be. Um, William striking is just not very good to me. I mean, he just uses his reach, athleticism, and power to overwhelm guys, force the grappling. And he has five knockouts in his career, but he really likes to mix it up. He uses athleticism to get on the inside, push fighters to the fence, and from there he has... Uh, a lot of close range power and decent takedowns. He'll look to catch kicks, take fires down that way as well. And on top wins is not super dangerous. I mean, he stays heavy on top, mauls opponents, good short ground and pound, good front chokes, and uh, he just likes to stay on top and grind you out. I mean, we saw that in, in his fights on the regional scene. He uh, really pressed a real heavy grappling style, clinch heavy style, control against the cage. I'm just looking at that 22 strikes per minute. That's pretty crazy, but I mean, um, this fight can be described with one word, man, explosive. Early on, both these guys are going to come in. They're going to freaking bang. And I think Razak has a huge advantage and might sleep him pretty quickly. I don't think Chaos is a grappling to take down Razak, control it consistently. I mean, he tries to get a lot of his takedowns in the clinch. So I got to go with Razak here by knockout or decision, but I don't see it going three rounds. I actually think it's going to end probably within a minute with uh, Abdul Razak in the KO. So give me Abdul Razak Alassane for the win here. And finally, man, we got the new main event. We got Paul Felder taking on RDA. And fuck, man. I mean, first thing you got to say is you got to commend both these guys for taking the fight. I mean, Felder, five days notice, takes this main event. RDA, man. I mean, what can you say about RDA? I mean, I'm going to, you know, talk about a little bit, you know, that, that message. Uh, he called out Michael Chandler. Then he said, like, you should be ashamed with yourself because Chandler said he had other plans. And, man, I mean, I agree with RDA, man. I mean, we're going to do something right now. But, like... I mean, this dude's a bad motherfucker, dude. I mean, look at these people he's fighting, man. I mean, I don't know, like, uh, Michael Chandler, I, I guess he doesn't think, uh, former champion, a guy that's fought literally, like, <laughs> look at Michael Chiesa, Leon Edwards, Kevin Lee, Usman, Colby Covington, Robbie Lawler, Magny, Tony Ferguson, Eddie Alvarez, Cerrone, Pettis, Nate Diaz, Benson Henderson. I mean, come on, dude. Habib, Donald Cerrone again, Evan Dunham. Bocek, Gleason T-Bow, Clay Guida, like, come on, man, give this guy the fight, if you, if you like, if you, uh, like RDA said, if you want to say you don't want to make the weight or something, I get what he's saying, I mean, it's a low, it's a, you know, high risk, low reward fight, I mean, RDA would have a big chance to win that fight, and, but, I, I mean, I just gotta give credit to RDA, man, I mean, everyone's giving credit to Felder, and rightfully so, he took the fight on short notice, but RDA accepted the fight, and RDA will accept a fight with anybody if you give him a fight, man, I mean, RDA is the man. He's uh, one of the best of all time, former champ, and come back down to 155 for this one. So I'm really interested in that. I'm interested to see both guys how they uh, come down to 155. Because Felder's taking a fight on real short notice, but 
I guess he's been doing uh, some triathlon training or marathon training or something, so I guess he maybe is low on the weight. But uh, it's still going to be interesting to see if you know he can cut down and make that weight easily. But looking at the fight, I mean, it's a really intriguing matchup. I actually think it's a better matchup than the fight with Islam Makachev versus RDA, just in terms of uh, you know a fan-friendly fight because both these guys have real good Muay Thai on the feet. Uh, Paul Felder, he's he's uh, has good hands too. Real good hands, a good jab, good one-two. Throws real sharp, tight punches, and uh, good counters. But you know he's more kick-oriented, a lot more creative with the striking. Throws a lot of spins, spinning back kicks. You know a lot of uh, you know spinning back elbows, a lot of front elbows, lead elbows, things like that. And uh, RDA, he's a Muay Thai guy too, but he's more meat and potato style. Come forward, uses the boxing, uses the low kicks, forward pressure, breaks you down, throws a you know a pretty good amount of volume out there. And I think a lot of this fight, they're going to be throwing a lot of kicks at each other from the outside. And uh, you know, low kicks from RDA. I think Felder's going to be trying to land that uh, the inside kick, the body kick, because they are going to be southpaw here. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's going to be an interesting fight on the feet. I feel like people are kind of disrespecting RDA a little bit. I mean, people act like the guy's like, he can't strike anymore. I mean, he's been losing to a lot of grapplers. But uh, I don't think he's going to have like an issue or just be outclassed striking on the feet with a guy like Paul Felder. But Paul Felder, you know, he's going to have to, you know, kind of, I feel like bring that Tony Ferguson style game plan, high volume, kicks from the outside. A lot of elbow stance switching. Try to throw those elbows, man, because I feel like he could maybe cut open RDA. And, uh, you know, RDA has a lot of scar tissue. He's been in a lot of wars, things like that. And uh, he could, you know, make the fight a little bit easier by doing that. Maybe, uh, you know, try to give him different looks, go forward, then maybe mix. I don't know. Because I just feel like this is RDA's fight to lose, man. I, I, I've seen Paul Felder get taken down quite a few times in his uh, UFC career. I mean, uh... He's not great with the takedown defense, 61%. It's not terrible, but we've seen him get taken down by a lot lesser guys than uh, RDA. I mean, you've seen him get taken down his last fight by guys like Dan Hooker. So I just feel like if RDA wants to get it to the ground, he's going to be able to get it to the ground. And uh, on top, I mean, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to control Felder and just... Uh, keep him down for the whole round or something like that but I do think he's going to have some success controlling on top and I also feel like like he's going to be able to maybe get Paul a little bit tired a little bit discouraged if he could uh, use the grappling because I mean Paul Felderman it's hard to trust this guy this is a guy that has retired even listening to his interviews he's saying he's 50-50% chance he's going to retire after this fight RDA, he's moving down to 135 or 155. He's here to, you know, stay. He's not going to cut down this weight to uh, retire his next fight. He's talking about winning the belt. So he's still in the in the game. He's active. He's in the mix. He still has that confidence, that motivation to uh, go on the title run. It seems like Paul Felder, he thought it was a fun idea to jump in here and fight RDA, a legend, a guy that he's looked up to. But I don't know if he's necessarily still has those type of aspirations. And I don't know if he really, really, truly thinks he's going to go in here and defeat RDA. Maybe he does. Maybe he really thinks he's going to win. But if it's 50-50, you're going to retire. I mean, if you win, you're not going to have another fight. I mean, you just beat a former champion at the division. So it's kind of weird to me, uh, Paul Fuller's, uh mindset coming in this fight. But he is taking a big risk here. I mean, he's taking this fight five days notice. Uh Maybe it's just a cash grab, but uh, I mean, if he wants to continue to fight and he lost this fight, that would be a really bad uh, thing for his career trajectory. 
But I just like the matchup for RDA, man. I think RDA is going to go forward. I think he's going to be able to, you know, kind of control control the distance with his boxing. I think his boxing is going to be a lot better, better than Felder's. And I think he's going to have that threat of the takedown. Felder, I mean, he's a guy that's been looking better recently. But RDA, you know, we can never forget how legendary his run is at, run was at 155. He can make that weight comfortably look good. You know, he could, uh, you know, be a factor still around there. I mean, we've seen him defeat guys like Kevin Lee. And he's been facing a lot of grapplers recently. So now he's facing the striker, a guy that he's a better grappler than. And maybe, uh, you know, RDA will turn up and have a real good performance here. So I just feel more confident picking the guy that's uh, moving down to a more natural weight class that seems to be getting more dedicated to the sport, buckling down, trying to uh, go on another run over the guy that's uh, commentating, that's retired before, that's stated that, you know, it's 50-50, he's going to retire after this fight. I just have a lot more confidence in uh, RDA hanging around, winning the fight, pushing late, being able to hit that takedown. RDA is a guy that's beaten legend. He's beaten the elite of the lead. He's beaten guys like similar to uh, Paul Felder, like Donald Cerrone, like Anthony Pettis, guys that Felder trains with. And I just feel like RDA is just a little bit better. He's a step above a guy like uh, Paul Felder. But, I mean, Paul Felder's super tough, super durable. He hits hard. He comes forward. He's going to make it a close competitive fight. So this could go either way. I mean, I... Uh, I, I get why some people are on the dog money with Paul Felder, but me personally, I'm siding with the former champ with RDA. I think he's going to be able to go in there and get it done, mix it up with the wrestling, with the grappling, with the forward pressure, clinch control against the cage. I mean, we've seen Paul Felder control against the clinch a little bit, and, uh, you know, we've seen him, you know, hit with the elbows, cut open against a guy like Francisco Trinaldo. So I just feel like RDA is more past the victory here, and I'm going to pick RDA to get the win via decision. So uh, there you have it, guys. Thanks for watching. For the parlay of the week this week, it's going to be Luis Smolka and Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. And uh, my most confident pick on the card is going to be Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. For the underdog of the week, it's going to be Corey McKenna. So uh, thanks for watching, guys. Like always, like I said, make sure to uh, leave a like down below, comment, subscribe. And uh, thanks for always supporting the channel. Hopefully we continue to make money. And uh, I'll be uh, back talking to you guys soon.